there are who can stumble across the 1966 version of Batman on TV, the one where Adam West can't get rid of a bomb, who can change the channel and not watch the whole rest of the movie, silently mouthing the dialogue. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein, two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. Welcome, friends, to Grown-Ass Men. We're taking a departure today because we're both feeling a little under the weather. We're feeling the madness of the state of the planet. Yes, it's coming straight into our sinuses. And we're having tea. <laughs> we're having we'll tea be sipping tea. We're going to talk a little bit about novelty records. Yes. Remember novelty records, friends? Does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? Beep, 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 when his horn went beep, beep, beep. Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. Hey, he's gonna send by you another one rides the bus. When I was growing up in Maine, on Sunday nights, you would tune in from 9 to 11 to Dr. Demento. Ah, the good doctor. Dr. Demento was a, a, an institution for a while in the late 70s, early 80s, all, all through the 80s, really. And he brought a totally different kind of music into my little prepubescent head which was hmm. novelty records crazy insane music that nobody else would play <laughs> uh, uh, uh. dr demento started his show in 1970 he was a mm -hmm. he was a dj in uh los angeles his real name is barry hansen he played a record called transfusion by nervous norvis <laughs> and uh, great name somebody said that you had to be demented to play it and after that, the name kind of stuck with him. And right. so he created this persona and created this syndicated show that became huge. Westwood One presents the Dr. Demento Show. Two hours of mad music and crazy comedy from out of the archives and off the wall. It was a two-hour show, and I would wait to hear it mm. and listen to my radio and record record the songs and I would wait and he would say oh we're going to play you know Barnes and Barnes right. Fish Heads and I would tape it and you know oh, so you taped it with get your rid of the songs player. that I didn't like yeah with my cassette player and then wow. I would listen to that in Maine the, he was played on WBLM uh -huh. which was a Portland station but I don't think I listened to it on BLM because I don't think we could get BLM up in Orono he would play any kind of insane music and there are songs that I heard there for the first time that are stuck in my head still, that I could still sing you. They're coming to take me away, haha. Ha. That I remember. Fish heads, um, dead puppies aren't much fun. Uh, it was the first time I'd heard a lot of Weird Al Yankovic songs. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, and creepy songs, too. Like there was uh, Kinko, the kitty-loving clown... I mean, but he would play Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. Yeah, sure. I mean, he would play the classics too. Shut up, a you face. Hello, Mudda. Hello, Fada. 
one do you, of them. Do you um, know the song King of Fa? No. What's the King, King of Fa? Oh, no. That's, it actually was a record by this guy, Brute Force, but I, I associate that record with that. I'll have to send you a link for King of Fa. There was a beautiful line, there was a beautiful line, there was a beautiful line called Fa. And in this line there was a king. Everybody called him the fucking. Well, novelty records have been around since the twenties or even before. Like, of course, it was yeah. a big. Uh, it was a, it was an industry because people would buy records because they could dance to them, or they could eat dinner to them because they were you know relaxing, or because they were funny. And so, novelty records are these little forty fives or LPs or something. They're not exactly. It's not like getting a comedy album by Flip Wilson or no. Bill Cosby or something like that. It's more like one-off comedy, little comedy records. And now, nowadays, they're kind of everywhere because of the internet. People right. make videos with to be funny songs all the time, and you've got people like Weird Al Yankovic, who's kind of a mainstream star now. But oh, everything he's he a does, huge star, and he's great. Uh, I think that yeah, his, his he's last incredible. Album, he does really good parodies that are like on the highest level. Yeah, and you also have the Lonely Island. You know Adam uh, Sandberg's right group from Saturday Night Live, and those songs are some of those songs are fantastic. Right, Dick right, in the right. Box and uh, <laughs> uh, the Bin Laden song. You know, novelty records—they've been around for so long. A lot of artists kind of made their career being novelty performers like Spike Jones. Right. And I mean in, even but he's a genius. Saturday <laughs> afternoon at five. We'll be so glad we're both alive. Then maybe fortune will complete the plan that all began with cocktail But even to a certain extent, like Slim Gaylard and Cab Calloway, I mean, they're, Cab Calloway's a big band leader, but some of the songs, like Minnie the Moocher, yeah. were almost like novelty songs. Yeah, Potato Chips, Slim Gaylord. Yeah. But Slim and Slam, that was with Slam Stewart. That's like really high-level music Beautiful. at the same time. It's great. I mean, they could really play. They're, the Slim and Slam version of Blue Skies is one of my favorite oh, recordings. Man. Slam Stewart's one of my favorite bass players. I really got deep into him. You know, I, I tried to... His big thing was that when he would take a bowed solo with the bass, he would sing what he was playing. Oh. You know, so like that's a big thing that some bass players don't even go near that, and then some people really get into it. I really was into it, you know. It was a great way to project because bass is so quiet. Right. Slam Stewart never had that problem because he would just be singing exactly what he played, and he just happened to be able to do it incredibly. Right. So I love those records. Yeah, I know those beautiful. well. And there are a lot of people who were legitimate recording artists who kind of got a little fame from a record that might seem like a novelty record, but right. but really wasn't. Like, even Randy Newman, who is the, you know, I hold him in such high esteem. Sure, me too, the highest. But Short People, Short people it was kind of a novelty record. It was, a, or a lot of people thought of it that way. 
Yeah, I never did. No, and but, certainly for for Randy, like it's a it's a very it's a deep song. Yeah, and it is. But I think people treated it in a different way when it was misunderstood and popular. My friend Brian Matson recorded what amounts to a novelty record uh, recently. It was a, a Hamilton parody oh, about yeah. Obama, and it was all from Obama's point of view. And it's a very funny thing, and it's you can find it on the internet. My buddies Paul and Storm, who I know through Jonathan Colton, like they do really smart comedic stuff, and they sing incredible harmonies. I mean, there's a whole genre of this stuff. It's not mainstream, but it's the internet has made possible people to have such success on a huge level, and you don't have to know them. One of the main things that got me into novelty records in the first place was where the break-in records. Around the time of Watergate and Jaws, there was this guy named Dickie Goodman, and he started making these break-in records, and... Who knows how he got the rights to do this, or if I just listening to that, but he he couldn't have had the rights. Break-in records were basically these records where he would ask a question, and then the response would be from a popular song. We are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Ah, And what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, Mr. Please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? How did they actually get the, the rights? Maybe, maybe because didn't. it's such a short snippet, they were allowed to use it. It could be that, or maybe they th- thought it, maybe they felt it was promotional for those songs, and so they didn't have to pay for it. I that don't know. just seems unlikely to me i mean we're talking about big acts yeah why would the Bee Gees need like publicity from dickie what was his name my name is sue how do you do there's another type of record that i got <laughs> not exactly like a novelty record mm-hmm. like the streak or something you remember the streak oh, oh yes i they loved got... it the streak i oh. actually used to like the streak too. convoy did you streak all the time i was real always into nudity <laughs> I'm glad you got over it. I didn't. Oh, you didn't. I did it, man. Still, like, still I, I mean, I do it at the right time. Okay, good. Well, yes, they call him the street. Fast thing on two feet. He's just as proud as he can be of his anatomy. He gonna give us a peek. I used to listen to Tom Lehrer records. Tom Lehrer yeah, was this great. Uh, intellectual Harvard professor turned singer-songwriter. Yeah. And all his songs were very f- smart and... Super smart. My pulse will be quickening with each drop of strickening we feed to a pigeon. It just takes a smidgen to poison a pigeon in the park. I memorized those records and I always think I, I learned something from them. I learned how to put certain things in perspective from I associ- Tom Lehrer. I'm associating that with the big comedy records though, like Carl George Carlin, Class Clown. You're right. I mean that it's more like a comedy record. It just made me think of those records and those I used to love. Yes. Well I, I, I mean, love those I also love Steve Pryor's Martin's records. records. Yeah. All of Steve Martin's but Steve Martin kinda had one novelty hit because he had King Tut. King Tut, which was 
That's just also right in my wheelhouse because I was the perfect age yep. to watch that on Saturday Night Live. And when he was on Saturday Night Live and he was early in his career, he was untouchable. Mm. There was one other kind of record that I bought a few of when I was a kid. And uh, actually, Sam Mistandria gave me one as a gift mm. uh, a year or so ago. And they were the Power Records uh, comic book records. There's, oh, you mean like the theme songs? No. I mean, there were stories <clears throat> of superheroes and kind of random just things that kids loved. Right. There was a Spider-Man record. And a Superman, a Batman, a, uh, a Hulk, a couple of Hulk records. Right. Uh, and then there was a Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, Six Million Dollar Man. And they were LPs. Mm -hmm. You'd put them on and play them. And then the comic book was inside the LP. It was like right. a gatefold sure. LP and you could read along you're talking about. and follow the whole comic book. Mm -hmm. And it was all dramatized on the record that you got. There is a podcast that's all about the power records. Rob Kelly... You have a very specific podcast. Uh, yes, I yes I do. It's great. I love it. The Power Records podcast, very specific about Power Records releases from the seventies. All seventies, or were they in a little bit in the sixties and eighties too? Uh, they creeped into the eighties, but by the by the time the eighties rolled around, they were basically just repurposing material they had already done. So how did you get interested in Power Records? Did you collect them when you were a kid? Oh yeah, I spent many, many uh, an hour uh, a day or whatever, a week, month, uh, in my parents' uh, living room with where we had our record player and uh, I listened to them endlessly. I absolutely loved them because I mean, they came with, some of them came with a comic book. They were really great. I, I loved everything about them. I didn't own a lot of them. I had the uh, one, I think it was Spider-Man and the Man-Wolf. Mark of the Man-Wolf, yep. Mark of the Man-Wolf, I had that. And then just over the holidays, I was uh, up in Buffalo at my in-law's house and I found that they had the Star Trek power records. And so I was listening to that. And one of the interesting things, it feels like Neil Adams did a lot of the art. He did. Uh, Continuity Studios, which was his, you know, his late, his uh, his studio, basically him and Dick Giordano's, they were commissioned to do a lot of the Power Records artwork. So yeah, I mean that, and that's part of the appeal of, of the Power Records is that, this, you know, they hired a comic book artist to do the sleeves, which really helped, and they also happened to hire one of the greatest guys ever to do it. I mean the 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 the, the LP art. Uh, for a lot of these records are just absolutely gorgeous. They're, they're works of art all by themselves. I agree. They're beautiful. And they're so, uh, they're so refreshing to see because they're just different than what you find in the comics. They're so rare. But it almost feels sometimes like, um, it feels like not all of the art is just done by Neil, for example. Like it feels like a pastiche of a couple artists working together, and maybe that's because it all came out of his studio. Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, the the relationship between Neil Adams and Dick Giordano in terms of who did what is kind of lost to the ages. I mean, I guess you could ask Neil, but sometimes Dick, you know, Giordano did the pencils and Neil Adams did the inks, or vice versa, where they traded. And of course, Continuity Studios, from what I understand of it, you were taught to sort of draw like Neil Adams and Dick Giordano, which is not a bad thing. Uh, so you had a lot of artists that were, you know, getting a little close. And on the insides, Rick, Rick, uh, 
Rich Buckler did a lot of the artwork and his style is reminiscent of Neil Adams. So it kind of had that flavor. We had Neil on our show uh, a couple of months ago and I wish we had known to ask him about this because it would have been interesting. He had plenty of stories to tell without talking about Power Records. Yeah, there's but... a lot of things you can interview Neil Adams about without ever getting around to the Power Records. What's your favorite of the Power Records? My personal favorite is probably, um, wait, Probably the, the Batman one with the Riddler, which is, is if music be the food of, I think it's, oh shoot, I'm blanking out on the, the one with the Riddler, uh, where the Riddler steals a rare violin. If music be the food of death is the I'm name looking of at it right now. If music yeah. be the food of death, that looks like Neil Adams art too. It is, it is. That one is probably my favorite story. I would say the best one Power Records ever did is a Conan the Barbarian record called Crawler in the Mists, which, you know, all these power records, I love them through some level of nostalgia because I had them as, as a kid, of course. And I'm able to forgive some of their wonky characterizations. I mean, in one of the Batman records, uh, Robin actively says, why don't we just give Joker a, a, a lobotomy and make him a, so he's not a menace to society anymore? And Batman's like, you're right, chum, that would be a good idea. What the hell? No, they're they're like they're not beholden to the rules of the comics. No, no. It, it feels like these are like under the radar, and they're not getting you know like Stan Lee's not really paying attention to these. Yeah, but I, the Conan one, Crawler in the Mists, is to me a genuinely great Conan adventure. The guy that got to do the voice of Conan is perfect. It's a genuinely to me scary kind of story, and and I, like to me that one you could play for any Conan fan. The beast is almost in place. I have to put my back into it. Send this pillar toppling over on that. Curse it! Oh, monster! It's, it's frustrating because a lot of the power records, like the information about them is very hard to find. Like, I, I've been sort of collecting these ever since I was a kid and I've been sort of quote-unquote studying them for probably a decade now and I still have not been able to find much in the way of like who played the characters the names of the actors you know I mean that information is just really hard really hard to find uh I think even the copyrights are kind of messed up because nobody seems to really know who owns this material I mean obviously DC owns the characters Marvel owns the characters but the audio adventures you can't you know, you can't purchase them anywhere. You know, they did Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America, the Fantastic Four, all the man thing of all characters. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein. I mean, there's a Kojak audio record. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. We're kids excited over the idea of Kojak, something you could see on TV every week. That one's kind of baffling. You know, they really had all the licenses collected into one space, which, again, that's not something you see anymore because it's all got to be separate now that everybody's owned by their own separate corporations. But well, thank you so much for for talking to me about it. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I, I like the show, and I'm glad that Power Records is getting a chance to be mentioned on on this episode because it's a, yeah, it's no, a lot I'm of really, really great material. And so ends another adventure of Power Records. That was Rob Kelly. It was very nice of him to talk with us. He and his partner, Chris Franklin, do the Power Records podcast, which is part of the uh, Fire and Water podcast network. It's, it's really worth listening to. And it's just about the only place where you could actually hear those records anymore, unless you you know have your own insane uh, collection of Power Records and Peter Pan Records. Uh, but those records were not the only place to hear superhero-themed music, if that was your thing, 
back in the day. I love the Spider-Man cartoon theme. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, boop-a-doo-boo-doo-doo. Yep. That's great. But I love the early Marvel cartoons. But David Bruce the, Banner, stricken by gamma rays, turns into the Hulk. Hulk. It's just like, <laughs> they're the worst themes, but I just, they're so, it's a Mariner has one. And the Iron Man theme is really bad. They're really bad. Yeah. Like, those cartoons are so low budget. But none of them are as good as the Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a legitimately fun song. And that's later on. Yeah. But that's Spider-Man as a whole other, that's not part of that early Marvel uh, show's you know, it's not? He, he had his, no, yeah, Spider-Man had his own show. Right. Cartoon show later on in the 70s. Because I think the early Marvel things are like late 60s. I think this. I think Spider-Man's the 60s too. Really? I think the original, you mean Spider-Man, Spider-Man? Yeah. I think that's 60s. I think that's like 66 or 67. Well, I don't think so. I don't I don't think you're right Let's there, look it but, up. Yeah. We've got to look it up right now. Okay. I'm putting $5 on it. All right, $5 it is, man. But what year do you say? Oh, I'm thinking 73. 73. I'm thinking 67. It's, this is what the, why the internet was invented. Cartoon. Spider-Man in television. Okay, here it comes. Okay. Aha. Animation. Spider-Man. 67. Boom. Wow. 1967 animated series. You nailed it, dude. $5. I can't believe it. All right, I'll give you some $5. But as long as we're talking about novelty records right. you do them too i guess so for this show some of the yeah i never think of, the, of them like that some but... of the records some of the songs rather that you've made for this show you know nobody's ever written a song about morbius the living vampire I know. before i mean that's part or of the... the wrench the wrench the wrench you want to hammer buddy got a wrench that's that's one of the first ones the wrench yeah but uh I mean, that's part of the fun of the podcast is to be able to just be free to do whatever kind of music you want, you know, and, and also obviously talk about whatever we feel like talking about. And and, and also, you know, even as I, I get to be a grown ass man, uh, I still think that these are fun things to listen to and think about, even, you know, as trivial as they might be. It kind of reminds me of that thing that Duke Ellington, Duke Ellington said what does he say? Uh, if it sounds good and it feels good. But it is it, good. It probably is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fun to think about these records for for a little yeah. while. Yeah. I want to listen to some Spike Jones because I haven't heard that stuff in a long time and it's like incredibly well done. Ugh. Well, thanks for listening, friends. And if you have some great novelty records you want to uh, have us pay attention to or Remind turn us, us on of, to, yes, please. please do. Send them our way. Post them. All right, friends. Take care. Goodbye. Grown-ass man.